Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to another edition of Advice Worth Keeping. I am with John Luce and Jeremy Hoff, and we're going to be talking about anticipating the risk when companies merge. John, Jeremy, can you start us off by a few words about yourself and your role with the firm? Sure. Thanks, Joe. John Luce here. I am a partner in the Chicago office, and I lead our people strategy for deal advisory here in the U.S and have global responsibility for our HR M&A Center of Excellence. Jeremy Hoff, I'm a director in our people strategy practice, and I lead our org talent and culture capabilities within that practice. Great, so our first question, and it seems like a loaded one, can you help explain the complexity of culture? Sure, the interesting thing is when you talk with people, every person will have a different definition of culture. And so you know there could be a hundred dimensions of culture based on who you talk to and how many people you have in the room. We really look at it, broadly speaking, around people and then all the organizational dimensions that's the environment in which people work. And so from a people perspective, we really look at it from how do people interact, how do they collaborate, what is the work environment in which the people are trying to achieve the organization's missions and goals. Structurally, equally as important is how are they organized? Have you structured the organization? Where do you locate people? What type of environment are they working in? Is it open space? Is it closed office? All those types of dimensions also play into how you build and facilitate the culture you want. Recently, we've looked at some primary research based on some of the data that we have available to us, some of our acquisitions and our integrations that we've helped with. And What we've seen is that these two dimensions that John is talking about in terms of the people and the non-people factors of culture is that they're both equally important. When we look at our complex factor analysis and look at all the different data points and everything else, what we're seeing is that what people traditionally call the people factors in terms of communication, open door, closed door, relationship versus task behavior is equally important to look at as the non-people factors. And when I say non-people What I really mean is the organizational factors that John was talking about in terms of what is the right structure, what are the right performance and reward incentives that are in place at the organization. And so as part of an integration, how are you bringing these people over in a thoughtful way that are going to get them ready, willing, and able to be prepared for day one to be assimilated into that culture? And so we are looking at culture from not only the people factors, but as John was saying, some of those organizational factors as well. Just again, speaking to the complexity of culture, it's a very complex construct. Taking that a little bit further, when you look at organizations that are very different, in fact, you know, one of the clients we recently worked with, Silicon Valley-based company, they were a campus-based company, meaning they had some telecommuters, but a lot of people, vast majority, 95%, worked on their magnificent campus overlooking San Francisco Bay. They acquired a Midwest-based tech company that, was very different. Probably 50% of people telecommuted from around two states in the Midwest. And there's a significant culture shock there when the sale was finalized and people realized that the way they are going to be looked at and how they're going to be communicated with and interacted with is that they have to be on the campus. And so those are things that we had to look at very early on to talk to our buyer and say, you have to consider this as you're developing your transition plans. You can't just all of a sudden force people into the campus to have them show up every day because that's not what they're used to. And so we spent about two, three months putting together a plan on how we would transition people into the new organization so that they would feel comfortable with that as a place for them, but that they didn't have to change their entire work style 
which many of them have built their personal lives around on a flip of a switch. So it's about being mindful and that workforce transition and planning is what we bring to the table and what differentiates us from a lot of our competitors is that, yes, we can do the side-by-side analysis where you look at all the traditional culture constructs of people, but also we bring in our expertise of being able to set up integration plans and be able to migrate and have the workforce transition plans in place that will help these people be prepared to work in this new environment and to adopt to these new ways of working that the organization that bought them. So you guys talked a bit about this already. How do you get commitment from employees in a situation like this? I know it could be a challenge. How do you get them on board? I think it starts at a much higher level. Oftentimes you hear the word culture integration, and that has a different approach than ours, which is we believe, and Jeremy mentioned this earlier, assimilation. There are two very different types of approaches and processes and philosophies of what you're doing with the workforce. When I first started doing this work, we did culture integration, and that implies that you take two workforces and you bring them together, and you expect them to do the work the next day, and you move on. To Jeremy's point, you did some assessments around certain prescribed dimensions of organization and people, styles which may or may not fit those organizations, but that was the assessment that was done. You find the gaps, you try to figure out how do we move people across the continuum. Our approach is looking at it very differently. It's what does it take and what does the buying organization have to do to assimilate the target workforce so that they not only understand what their job is, but eventually that you can get them to a place where they're committed to a new organization. And so that is a much longer process. It involves a much more involved organization. It's just not about bringing HR in. You need to have the business units, and you have to think through from the moment you announce the deal to thinking out six to nine months, because that's when people actually become committed to the organization. What do you have to do in between all of that time period that people understand who the organization is, what their role in the organization is, how are they rewarded, what is their career path, and what's the environment like. And it's only after people understand all of that that they can start thinking about committing to an organization as opposed to saying, I'm happy to have a job after the deal. Yeah, if I might add, there is a considerable amount of evidence out there that suggests that employees that would like to stay on a job after an acquisition have been informed all along the way. They're aware of their job, what they're going to do on day one, They feel supported by their new manager, so they're basically ready, willing, and able to do their job on day one. It's all those things that John was talking about that make this possible in order for you to retain that employee. And then ultimately, for you to preserve those unique aspects of that culture that made them appealing anyway. The reason why you wanted to buy that company for certain aspects, and if it wasn't assets, then it was most likely the people and the culture aspects. And if the people in the culture, then what are those pieces that you want to preserve as part of this assimilation, as part of this integration process? A lot of times integration means one company is ultimately buying the other. And what happens is that you end up sunsetting a lot of the procedures and policies and tools that the company that's being bought had in the past. And what ends up happening is that you end up getting rid of key pieces of culture, key pieces of tools that enable that culture. And so, again, we look at it from a a comprehensive perspective where it's not just how the people interact on a daily basis. Yes, we do that too, but we also look at what are those key enablers of the culture and what are those key tools and key processes to preserve those as part of the integration or part of the assimilation. 
an example of that is going back to the Silicon Valley-based company. The target that they acquired had a unique chat tool that they used for the engineering departments, which, and this was obviously a very important part of the organization, given it's a tech company. It was not a tool that was going to be kept post-close. When our client found out that this is how 400 engineers communicate on a daily basis, the decision was made, that tool had to stay. And they kept it in place for over a year while all the other changes were going on because our client will realize that this was one of the things that kept those 400 engineers productive and kept them in place, as opposed to having to learn a new chat tool and having to learn a different way of working. Also, to Jeremy's point around integration assimilation, philosophically, we don't use the word change management in our approach to integrations and the work we do with our workforce. We really look at it from a standpoint of what is the employee experience. And ultimately, our goal around the work we do is that at the end of all of this, then the employees can say, in the absence of a deal, they would have chosen to come to this organization on their own. And ultimately, that's where we want to get to with every one of our clients and all of the people we work with who are coming over on deals, that the transition is such that they understand where they're going, they're excited about where they're going, and they have enough information and feel comfortable enough to commit to an organization. Now, if you think about commitment, you just don't walk in a room and you commit. You have to learn and you have to feel comfortable so that emotionally and psychologically, you are ready to put your career in the hands of an organization that you did not select. Certainly a great thing when you get the employees to fully commit at a certain point, but what are some of the most significant challenges that companies face along the way related to this type of merge? Yeah, where I've seen organizations trip over themselves is that they tell people that we're not going to change you or we're going to leave you alone or is it going to be integration light or they use some sort of language to convey that we're going to preserve you as is. It's going to be business as usual. And what ends up happening is that they don't have enough planning foresight or understand some of the ramifications and some of the things that have to be integrated. So when employees start to see some of their email addresses change or some of their email signature change or their business titles change as a result of job restructuring. I had this one client, for an example, that the branding changed, and that branding was something that was very unique and passionate that the employees believed in, even the color of the walls. And so when the employees came in on Monday morning, their walls were painted a different color, and they said, wait, I thought you said nothing was going to change. This certainly doesn't feel like nothing is changing. My email address is different. My branding is different. The color of my office is different this certainly doesn't feel like it's the same to me. Now you're telling me that my benefits are going to change. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So what happens is that organizations, they trip up because they don't communicate what has to change versus what's going to remain the same in very transparent manner, or maybe they don't plan for it enough. What ends up happening is that we have to go back and then do damage control or service recovery of some sort with the employees. Then you've already done damage to your employees. A lot of times what we see are organizations who do not want to disrupt the workforce and people doing their job. So they try to minimize what's going to happen as opposed to laying it out there and providing a full picture of what's going to happen. I used to run a summer camp and the three things that you wanted to make sure everyone knew when they walked, all the counselors walked in and when the, when the kids walked in is where are they going to sleep? Where are they going to eat? And where are the bathrooms? There's certain information people need to get settled. And oftentimes, organizations feel like they're going to unsettle the target workforce if they tell them the truth, 
what we always encourage is let's understand what the truth is and figure out how we communicate that in a way that provides stability versus chaos. Adding on to this is if you look at how the workforce has changed over the last 10 years, millennials, they're the second largest demographic in our workforce, and they're very fast closing in on the boomers. And so our work environments have done a lot to change how we hire and retain millennials in terms of telecommuting, in terms of variable comp. There's a number of things that organizations have done to adapt to the millennials in the workforce, but they haven't done it in terms of deals. And one of the things that we all know about millennials, and we've seen in the research, people we've talked to, is if millennials feel you're not being truthful to them, it's very difficult to get that bond back. They have no qualms about walking from an organization if they feel it's not trustworthy, if they're not keeping their word, if they don't have a clear picture of where the organization is going. You really want to help organizations understand that there are a lot of dynamics out there in the workforce that they have to be careful of, not just is their job title changing or is their email going to change? It's how you interact with them. It's really going to drive that relationship going forward. John, Jeremy, I want to thank you for your time and for your extensive knowledge on this topic. I feel like you two could have gone all day and discussed this and not run out of content. I, for one, have learned a great deal, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Thanks again. 